Merry Christmas, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome. If you're new around Mountain, uh, hey, glad you're with us. Uh, we are one church that meets in different locations on the weekends and on uh, Saturday nights and, and Mondays and Thursdays. So we like to just make sure everyone feels welcome. So can we just say hello and welcome everybody in at all the other campuses and folks online, everybody on the other side of the camera, glad you're with us. Hey, I, I saw something online uh, the other day about this little kid named Charlie who was getting picked up after school and he was so excited to tell his, I think it's his mom, uh, about the part he got. He says it's a classic role in the Christmas play. Did you see this little clip? Go ahead and if you haven't seen it, check this out. It's great. Guess what I am for the nativity? I'm a classic one. Classic role, is it? Classic part? Yeah. Um, Joseph? No. Uh, uh, one of the three wise men? No. But it's a classic part? Yeah. Okay. Um, you tell me then, because... I'm door holder number three, I'll be holding doors. That's amazing. Holding doors for who? Um, probably um, Joseph and Mary. Oh my gosh, were you pleased when they said that? And I was like, I'm a door holder. Get in there, let's go, <laughs> yes. I'll have to wear like brown. Really? Yeah, probably. Excellent. That's well, that's really smart, Milo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta love, you gotta love that kid. One. I'm door holder number three. Let's go. I mean, that's uh, and kudos to the teacher, whoever, whoever that teacher was, is like, okay, we've got the Mary and Joseph and the ba oh, but now we need a very special part. It can't be just anybody, you know. She drilled this thing up, and I need someone really amazing, and it's door holder number three, and it's Charlie, and everybody cheers. It's like great. I love that. There's a lot in that, and that, and that mom, she did a good job too. Um, but listen, don't tell that kid, Charlie or Milo, whatever his name is, don't tell him. But door holder number three is actually not the star of the Christmas play. Did you know that? Yeah, we did know that, right? In fact, the, the, the centerpiece, of course, isn't door holder number three. It's not, it's not uh, Mary and Joseph. It's not uh, the, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, none of that. It's, 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 the, it's the baby. It's, it's the child which is just sort of odd to think about it. Um, but it's, it, it, we know it's the child, but, but what, what child, you know, is this, really? What, what do we know about this child? Which reminds me of a song. Some of you old-timers remember this, this old, old Christmas carol. We don't sing it much anymore, but it's to the tune of Green Sleeves called What Child Is This? Some of you old-timers remember this one? We're all going to go caroling now. How about everyone at all the campuses on your feet? We just arrived at the front door. We're going to do our best. Some of you are like, oh, I hate this. Play along. Come on. We're on our feet. We're now we rang the doorbell. They come, and, 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 and here we are. We're going to go caroling. We'll put the words right here on the screen. If you don't know it, mumble along and act like you're having a good time. All right? That's how caroling works. All right? Are you ready? Let's try this, and uh, we'll just see what this song is about. Uh, <clears throat> we don't have any help here, so help me out here. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keep. High part now. 
This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him praise, the babe, the son of Mary. Y'all sound pretty good. Y'all sound pretty good. Here's some hot chocolate. Thanks. Good luck. See you later. Thanks for coming. Go ahead and have a seat. The song asks the question, what child is this? We all know it's about the child. All the light in the center of attention goes to the babe. But, but what child, what baby is this? What do we know about this baby? About 3.5 million babies are born in this country every single year. I read, and most of the sources say that the most common birth month is September. Isn't that interesting? Raise your hand at all of our campuses if you were born in September. You're a very, very average person, <laughs> apparently. Which, by my math, if September is the birth month, it means that we just entered the baby-making period of the year. Merry Christmas, everybody. I guess we'll find out in a few months. But Christmas is about a baby. It's about a child. What is this child really like and what difference does he make? That's what we're going to focus on over this series uh, of messages in this period of time we call Advent. It's the weeks leading up to Easter. And, you know, I, so I, I'm, I'm on stage a lot. I'm up front. You know, I put my picture around places like that and so forth. And, and, and so people, you know, see me and they think they kind of know me sometimes and I was at this event with a bunch of mountain guys recently and uh, there's this one guy I didn't know him that well we would seen each other around but um, we started you know hanging out at this thing and we're eating dinner and talking about kids and sports and you know cats and all that stuff <laughs> and uh, played some games and goofed off a little bit at the end he says to me he says um hey you know it was great it was kind of interesting hanging out with you you know it's almost like you're a normal person. <laughs> it's like, well, thank you. <laughs> That's me, almost normal, you know. But we laughed about that. But, you know, he, he said, no, what I, what I mean is, you know, I've known about you for a long time, you know. But getting to know you, it was very, very different. And he's, he's right, isn't he? You know, there's a big difference there. And, and here's what else I know. I, I, I think there's a whole lot of people that know about Jesus, They've heard his name, you know. They've seen him on stage, so to speak. They've seen pictures and they've seen him in a movie. They've heard some of the stories and stuff that he has said, what he's famous for, how he's known in the public eye, so to speak, some caricatures. of. of, of they go to churches maybe with pictures of him and his name on the sign. But let me tell you what, nobody's life has ever been changed by knowing about Jesus. Okay. Nobody ever experiences deep joy in the middle of a hard struggle because they knew about Jesus. No one ever finds comfort in the middle of a gut-wrenching sorrow. No, no, nobody finds wisdom from on high or assurance of eternal life or hope in the middle of a struggle because they knew about Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. Shoot, the devil knows about Jesus. See? But that wonderful list of stuff I just mentioned and, and so much more is available to every single person who truly knows Jesus, like who recognizes that he is who he was told we, he would be and then who he said he would be and has become that for you. A person who recognizes that and receives 
Jesus into your life and follows him in some kind of personal way. So I, I wonder, you know, do you know Jesus? Or are you stuck in I know about Jesus territory? And, and so our, our, our just our honest hope for this whole series would be that every single person, you know, hearing this message today and in the weeks that follow would move, you know, way past that territory because we all know about Jesus into the territory of truly you know, knowing Jesus more deeply, more fully, past the place where we know that Christmas is about the child and to the place where we would know the child. And we're going to just turn to a place that will help us understand the difference that child makes in our life when we know him. We're going to turn to a place in the Bible that might surprise some of you um, because it was a portion of the scriptures that was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And yet it has such a beautiful picture, an accurate portrayal of exactly who Jesus would be and who he is and why we still need him in our lives today. I'm talking about an Old Testament book called Isaiah. Everybody say Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, all right? There were hundreds of prophets all throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. Only about 16 of them get a book of the Bible with, you know, named after them. And um, there, there are, there's none more prominent uh, or important than Isaiah. Now, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I just work for a nonprofit. But let me, what, what is a prophet in the Bible? A Bible, uh, excuse me, a prophet is, um, is a messenger from God. We think of them as like, oh, they tell things about the future. And they do. But their main message really was to the people of God in that present moment to say, look, you've gotten off track God has been so faithful and nothing but good to you and called you and provided for you, but you've gotten off track. Hello, wake up. It's time to come home. It's, it's like a prodigal son story that God wants to happen to come home. You're supposed to be a light to all the people, but you're walking in darkness just like everybody else. So a prophet is a messenger sent from God to give a kind of wake-up call. And Isaiah is 66 chapters of that in these beautiful poetic pictures and images and, and stories a little background about uh, Isaiah. It, it, it was written, as I said, 700 years before the time of Jesus. So it's the year 740 B.C. How do we know that? Well, we know it because in chapter 6 he tells us that his calling happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Well, we know from other historical sources that King Uzziah reigned in Israel and died in the year 740 B.C. Now, let's grasp what a big deal that was. Because King Uzziah, he was like the best king ever. He was a good, godly king who reigned in Israel for 52 years, which is a huge deal because most kings in those days, some of them lasted just a matter of weeks or, or months before they, someone would knock them off or poison them or whatever. So we have this 52-year period with a good, godly king, and it's the golden age of Israel's history in that period because they're stable, they're strong, they're prosperous, military expansion, everything's going fantastic because, you know, his eye is there, and then he drops dead. And everybody's very, very concerned. 
because they got a lot of problems inside now. Things are starting to, to unravel in, in the nation. You know, the, the, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. There's all kinds of violence and exploitation and oppression going on. And God's people are just kind of ignoring it all. Like, yeah, we're good because we're God's people. And, and yet there's a gnawing sense that maybe we're not good. You know, there's some stuff happening. And, and the biggest concern is Assyria over in the east is this mega superpower that is marching and swallowing up nation after nation like the Death Star, and now they've got their sights set on Judah and Israel, and everyone knows that they're headed straight down their throats. It's a very scary time, and they feel very threatened. So the book of Isaiah is really all about this idea of when you are threatened, where do you turn? Who do you trust? When you're scared, when things go wrong in life. Isaiah's message is, man, you've got to turn to the Lord. And if you don't, the consequences of that will inevitably come. And it's, it's a great word for us, isn't it? Because I just suspect there's probably at least one person hearing my voice right now who has a little tad bit of uncertainty about the future or feels like there's a troubling time that we live in. Or, or, or realizes that in today's world there are a few concerns or there's some turbulence around us and we recognize that we've got troubles inside us and inside our nation and all around the world. And God speaks these words and it's a message of hope. It's a message to the prophet. And th the main thing he does is he keeps pointing not only to what God's going to do right in that day, but he keeps pointing forward to a day when God's going to make things right and it's going to happen through a Messiah, a Christ who's going to come, who's going to put things, start recreating things back together. And the, and the shocker that this prophet says is, is he says, brace yourself because it's going to show up as a child. And then he describes what child this is. And it's just remarkable when you think about it, that he aims so much attention toward a child, and then, and then there's a long period of, of silence before we begin to meet the child. Uh, chapter 7, for example, uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 14. Here's Isaiah, again, think about this, 700 years before Jesus is ever born. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him what? Emmanuel, now this is a word that was given to the people in that time, a warning of judgment and Ahaz and all this stuff. But also, if any of that looks familiar, it's like, wait a second, that's exactly what happened with Jesus, which is why when Jesus was born, the Gospel of Matthew wants to make sure we don't miss the connection as a fulfillment that Jesus was in fact this promised Messiah from centuries ago that God had been promising all along. And so that's why uh, in Matthew chapter 1 we read that uh, when, when uh, you know, the, uh, Mary was a virgin and she conceived and it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He's just quoting Isaiah. The next verse goes on to say, uh, is there another verse? Yes. Nevertheless, there will be no more glue. Whoops, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hang on. But you see the point? Matthew is trying to connect the dots to make sure that we understand that there is a direct connection from this 700-year prophecy 
and the Jesus that showed up. Over in chapter 8 of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah says, the people are walking in darkness. That means they're struggling. They're hurting. Their lives are off track. It feels to them like God is hiding his face from them. And Isaiah says, you just keep waiting and putting your trust in the Lord. Uh, walking in darkness is a description of how the people are really struggling. They're, they're mad. They're, they're mad at the government. They're mad at each other. Some of them are mad at God. There's, there's tense division and distrust and fearful gloom. It's a perfect description of America in an election year. And the prophet says in that moment, chapter 9, verse 1, here's where we get to. They're living in this gloomy darkness. And Isaiah says, just hold on. I know it's dark right now, but nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Now, just stay with me in the next part of this, all right? Just stay with me here. In the past, he humbled. That means he kind of um, held in contempt the land of Zebulun. Everyone say Zebulun. And the land of Naphtali. Naphtali. Okay, keep going. In other words, these are, these are areas of Gentile occupation. They're places where God's people did not live. It was the Gentiles, the commoners, the, the, the not God's people lived. And in the past, God kind of just ignored those places. But in the future, he says, not only will there be no more gloom for us as God's people, he will honor Galilee, the place where the lowest of the low live, uh, by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Everyone ever heard of the Jordan River or the Sea of Galilee? Well, in those days, they didn't pay any attention to those places. And then keep going here. It says in the next verse, the people walking in darkness, he says, one day they'll see a great light on those living in the land of darkness. A light has dawned. So light's coming for you as God's people, and it's coming for everyone. This is, there's going to be a Messiah coming who's for everyone. What's the next verse say? Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, when Jesus shows up, it says that John had been put in prison. This is early in his ministry. Where did he withdrew to where? Galilee. He went right exactly to the place that Isaiah said he would go 700 years earlier. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of what? Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill, keep going, yep. To fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and Naphtali, by the way, blah, 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 blah. Just exactly like it was said 700 years ago. And then the next verse. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then Jesus showed up, and what did he say? John chapter 8, he said, remember, you've been walking in darkness, and God promised a light would be coming, and Jesus shows up and says, friends, I am the light of the world. If there was ever any doubt that Isaiah is talking about Jesus Christ, it's erased by this and a hundred others I could show you. The focus is on the child. And Isaiah wants to make sure we don't miss what child this is. And it's so important that we don't miss what child this is either. What child is this? Is it a child you know about? Or is it a child that you know? And that's the heart of where we want to go. The next few verses, all this has been introduction, because the next few verses, Isaiah speaks with crystal clarity about what child this is and the difference it makes. Let's go to verses 6 and 7, and all this was introduction. Here we go. Verses 6 and 7 says this, for to us a child is born. Remember the angels would say, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. To us a son is given. 
And remember, the angel said, Mary, don't be afraid because, you know, you found favor with God and uh, you're going to give birth to a son and they will call his name Jesus who will save his people from their sins. And the government will be on his shoulders. And Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And he's known as the King of kings and Lord of lords. All of it became true. We begin to see what kind of child this is. And then Isaiah gives these four beautiful, powerful, amazing names. Bring up the next verse because here it is. Here it is right there. We're going to read them together. And this is where we're going to focus our thoughts over the next few weeks. Are you ready? This is who the child is and what he must mean to us. He will be called, say it with me, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And friend, until you know Jesus as your wonderful counselor who brings you wisdom and listens to you and helps you, until you know him as your mighty God who is bigger than any challenge you or the world faces, until you know him as your everlasting Father, like not going anywhere, he's everlasting, he's He's always there for you until you know him as your prince of peace in the middle of a toxic world that's overflowing with hate and spewing division. Until he's that to you, you don't know Jesus. So let's dive in on the first of those names today and then we'll take the others in the weeks that follow. Wonderful Counselor. Perhaps more than any other time in our life, we need wisdom because so many people are taking their cues from all kinds of false narratives about who we are as humans and what the purpose of life is and what our identity is and how to get along in the world. We're, 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 we're more messed up maybe now than any time I've seen in my lifetime. We need a source of truth. We need a we need a wonderful counselor in our lives. And we need it personally for comfort and strength and wisdom and decision making. Isaiah says Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The modern counseling industry is booming. Why? Because we all know maybe more than ever we need someone to talk to. And maybe we don't have any friends or, you know, I don't know. But we're, we're, the, boom, the, the counseling industry is booming. Because we need someone to listen to, to de-stress, to help us get direction and make decisions. And more and more of us are feeling weighed down like we don't have someone to talk to. So we're paying someone to, to listen to us. Uh, I talked to a friend who um, was telling some of his story and he was reminding me how he tried to get sober for a lot of years. He was going to AA, he, was, he would get sober for a while, maybe a couple weeks or a couple months, and then he would relapse. And the cycle continued for a while, and he was going nuts, like, i got to fix this. And so finally, he starts going to celebrate recovery, and he says, i got to get some help. And he goes to see this counselor, and the counselor listens to him for a while and says, you know what, man, you're, you're, drinking is not your problem. Drinking is a symptom of your problem. He says, we got to get to the thing behind the thing. And he begins to talk about how he's dealing with some low-grade depression. And as soon as he gets stressed, he medicates it with alcohol. He says, we got to get to the, the thing behind the thing is depression. we got to get to the thing behind that thing. And he, in the process, introduces him to a living relationship with Jesus who begins to help him with the causes of his depression. And guess what? The, the, the end of this story is that my friend hasn't taken a drink in years. And it started when he went to a counselor who opened up 
a way of thinking, some wisdom, some insight deep inside of his life that he was missing, that his friends were missing. And we need that sometimes. We're someone who can peer deeply into us and help us just say, you know what, that ain't the thing, it's the thing behind the thing, who knows really what's going on in the deepest places of our mind and heart. That's what a great counselor does. A, a friend, another friend, he, he's got an adult daughter who's making some horrible life choices, some decisions that are just like, oh, it's just like you're going to ruin your life and everything in him wants to chase after her and grab her and shake her and fix her and stop her from doing this and make her do that and live her life for her. He went to this counselor finally. He was just about to really lose his mind. And the counselor says, whoa, 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 slow down. You can't do any of that. You know that's not going to work, right? That's just a really, really bad approach what you're doing there. You're pushing her away. You're killing yourself. And through that process of counseling, he had the same problem in the same daughter, but he reframed how he looked at the whole thing. And he was able to turn his daughter over to the Lord and surrender him, her to him and begin to talk to Jesus about his daughter instead of talking to his daughter all the time about what he wanted. And it all started with good counsel. See? See what I'm, see what I'm saying? That's what a counselor does. The relationship with his daughter is so much better today as a result. When a marriage is about to bust apart, we're done, I'm through, I'm out. Oh, please, oh, please. No, okay, on one condition that you go to what? <laughs> counseling because we know we sense the importance of wise counsel is sometimes the only thing that will move us from where we are to where we need to be and who will give us a a possibility of change and like getting truth break through our rut we all need that kind of counsel and we also need someone who will listen to us and validate when we're not crazy and, and, and care for us and have our best interest at heart and have wisdom. And so I don't know what you think about counselors around here. We've tried to talk very openly about that and how sometimes they're not only, you know, not, 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 there's no stigma, but it's sometimes very necessary and important. And many of us have found help from a counselor. It's why we do small groups at Mountain to get that kind of counsel. But here, here's the thing, is that there is no counsel that compares with the wonderful counselor that God himself is. You're built to need a counselor. You need counseling. I need counseling. And there's no one who can substitute for the Lord. God's word says Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Are you, are you, do you have any appointments with him? Are you seeing him? You talking to him? You listening to him? The, the name means trusted advisor. Because he can help you see the thing behind the thing. He knows you more deeply than anyone. He, he can help you lift your sights. He can look at the same problem in a different way because of the way the wonderful counselor helps you. There's a supernatural insight beyond what any human counselor will ever bring you. It's called wisdom. So for every decision, every relationship, every parenting struggle, every thing you're ever grappled with, you have a wonderful counselor. I have a painting in my office. Um, I got it many, many years ago. It's by Harry Anderson. It's called The Divine Counselor. It's a picture you can see there. It's painted in 1945 of a wealthy, important businessman in New York City, and Jesus is sitting in his office. You can see the high rises out the, ba- out the window, and this very important person is just sitting there quizzically, just listening to this carpenter 
counsel him. The, 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 the painter said he based it on Psalm 73, verse 4, which, which says the psalmist is going through this terrible period where he's doubting God and everything, and then he says, wait a second, I, I know you're always with me, God. You're holding me by my hand. You guide me with your counsel. And he based that painting on that. You're everything I need, God. You're my strength. You're my wisdom. I'm not going to listen to you. I got that painting when I was about 30 years old. I was a 30-something young, dumb pastor. I came to this church. I, I didn't know anything. And this church was filled with all these smart old people and wise people in life and, you know, teachers and doctors and educated people, all smarter than me. And I thought to myself that when I got here, oh, what do I have to tell these people, you know? I eventually figured out that I, I didn't have to tell, it wasn't about me at all, and I, I didn't have to be smarter than anybody. I just, had to, I just had to point people to Jesus. My job is to point people to Jesus so they could stop knowing about him and know him so they could invite him into their office, so they could invite him into their classroom, into their home into their study, into their lives, into their minds, into their hearts. That's still all we do at Mountain is aim people to Jesus, get people connected to Jesus, the wonderful counselor who knows you and loves you and has your best interest will change your life. You ever heard someone say, I started going to counseling, it changed my life. Imagine if we went to the counselor, how much it could change our lives. So Isaiah is asking, who are you turning to because it really, really matters. So let me ask you two big questions for today. Who are you talking to? Because every, you know, either you're bottling up, which is nuts and not, not healthy and not human. Like who are you kind of using as a sounding board? Because and, and, we all need someone. And, and the second question is just as important. Who are you listening to? What voices are loudest in your head? We'll take the second question first. Because um, I know people, I know a guy, I swear the loudest voices in his head is, is all the characters that play on the drama called Fox News. And I know someone else who's a buddy of his who the loudest voice in his head is all the players in the drama on CNN and MSNBC. And they, they, they just are so much fun to watch together because they got these two other voices in their head, right? But there's some voice or other that's loud in our heads that's giving us counsel and advice for how we think about the world and how we live. How we deal with our stress and our anxiety, how we deal with a decision. Whose voice is loud enough in your head to sort of help you actually do what they say? Now, I want to say this gently, but I think it does need to be said. Many of us feel the way we feel right now. And we are in the situations we're in because we didn't listen to God in the first place. I know it's not true across the board, but a lot of times when I find up and I'm, I'm in a bad place in my life, it's because I didn't listen to God in the first place. I think we all know that a counselor, no matter how wise they are, is only as good as, as we are willing to do what they say. So listen, you've got a counselor. Here's, a, here's, his, here's his number. Trust me, he's 100% spot on with his advice every single time. He's never made a mistake, never steered anyone bad. You know, he's got five-star Google reviews. And he has your best interest at heart. He's not too busy. He's got time. And you're like, oh, that's probably not covered in my plan, you know. I don't know. 
I was like, nope, it's totally free. You pay nothing. There's no copay. You'd be crazy not to see him because it wouldn't matter what it costs you, right? We've got that kind of counsel. That's what the scripture is saying. You've got that kind of counsel in your life. And his name is Jesus Christ. So whatever difficult decision you're facing, whatever's going on with the grandkids, you can say, God, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my career. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Who are you listening to? God, I'm struggling with this friend at school. Will you just help me know what I should do and I'll do it. God, I'm struggling with this financial question or issue I've got going on right now. I, I'm going to give you all my finances. Tell me what to do and I, and I will do it. A counselor is only as good as we are willing to do what they say. So Jesus is here. He's listening and he's ready, and he's ready to speak. So who are you listening to? And then the other question is just as important, y'all. Who are you talking to? Because as human beings, we're really wired and dialed up to eventually to sort of try to just tell someone. There's an old, old hymn. I'm, I'm, an old, I'm an old hymn guy. You know that. There's an old one called I Must Tell Jesus. And it just says, you know what, whatever's going on, all my heartaches and sorrows and troubles, I, I've just got to tell Jesus. Yeah, do you know Jesus in that way where you could just tell Jesus whatever it is? Or do you just try to solve it and only use him as a last resort when you really get in trouble? Pastor Philip got a call one day um, from a member of his church, said, hey, my, my father is living with me. He's at home on hospice, and I think his days are numbered. Would you be willing to come by and just pray with him? And he said, of course. He gets to the house, and she leads him to a back musty bedroom where he's propped up in a bed and she says, I'll leave you two alone. He pulls up a chair right next to the bed. And they visited a bit. And after a while, the old man squeaked out to Pastor Phil. He says, um, can I ask you a question? Of course, anything. He says, um, how, do you, how do I talk to God? How do I pray? I've lived all these years. I don't really know. I feel like he's so far away. Do I need to get his attention? I mean, I've not been the best Christian. There's just so many things I don't understand. And he just had all these doubts and questions. Philip, Philip just said, listen, man, he's close. He's right here. Like he's, like imagine him sitting right in this chair where I am right now. And you just talk to him and tell him everything. Just like tell him. Tell him what you're scared of. Tell him what you're ashamed of. Tell him what you're thankful for. Ask him for anything. Tell him everything. And he'll bring so much comfort. And he's right here with you like I'm sitting in this chair. And the old man just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Philip squeezed his hand and left. The next day, he got a call from the daughter who said, I just wanted to thank you for coming by to see my dad. I wanted you to know a couple hours after you left, he, he, was, he passed. And he said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope it was peaceful. Was it, did he go peacefully? And she says, you know, it's funny you ask because I had stepped out for a minute. And when I came back to his room, I found him. He had already passed. But he had, he had climbed out of the bed and he had his head on that chair next to the bed. There's a man who found a way to talk to his wonderful counselor. Who said, I got you, I'm sure. We're in this together. 
Whatever you're going through, you're never alone. Who are you talking to? Don't wait like that guy did. Can I urge you to just talk to Jesus? That's how you get to know him, like anyone else. You just talk to him. And you tell him. Because you have a wonderful counselor who's all ears. We want to close our time here and our service together in a special way, I think, that in a kind of brief moment of remembrance and um, celebration that I think will be really meaningful for a lot of us. As we approach Christmas, it's, a, it's kind of a trigger for a lot of us, to be honest, if you've lost someone. You know, uh, the holidays, everyone else is kind of gearing up and with excitement, and sometimes you feel if you've lost someone, there's a hole in your life. It kind of almost a- amplifies the hole in, in your life. I'm relating to that a little more this year than most years. You know, my dad died a few months ago. So this is the first year of my life with, as, a, as a Christmas without dad, you know. And, and he was a wonderful counselor to me. I turned to him for so much in my life, and, but he's not here. So it, it, you feel that. And uh, it, it turns you to your wonderful counselor in, in a lot of ways. And um, that's why we have set aside some time this coming Tuesday night called um, We Remember Tribute Service. And it's a beautiful time. It's going to be right here at the Mountain Road Campus, 6.30 to 8. And it's just a time, if, if you've lost someone, it's just a time to come and remember them and honor them in the presence of some others. You know, give us their name. Go to the website. And, and give us their name and then come. And we'll honor them and their memory. And uh, we'll pray for you. I got to tell you, it's a very powerful uh, time. Um, I talked to someone last year who was like, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go, but I came. I thought it would be too hard, but I came, and I'm so glad I did. It felt like a, a lot of healing happened in my life. It will happen for you too. Maybe you know someone. Just invite them, encourage them, and maybe even come with them. This holiday is going to be a tough time. It's a beautiful service, and um, it's uplifting and encouraging. So sign up on the website and, uh, and get here. But we want to take a moment right now even just to invite our wonderful counselor here for those of us who maybe are experiencing a little bit of that. So we're remembering right now, you know, parents and grandparents and moms and dads and sons and daughters and friends and family, loved ones, some who died a long time ago, some maybe recently, maybe some after a long illness, some suddenly, some from some in the line of duty, some who uh, took their own life. But be assured of this, if you're thinking of someone that is important to you, well, they're important to God too. And they're important to us as a church family. So we want to invite, you know, Jesus who is with us, our Emmanuel. God is with us. We're not alone in this. You're not alone. You can feel like you're alone, but you're not. I got to thinking about some of the names and hear from our mountain family, people who have passed this last year, names like Preston Reinhardt and Marilyn Rousey and Jakiah Johnson and Helen Hackett, Joanne Bennett, Evelyn Kist and Sarah Robinson, Mike Gregory, Brad Taft. There's a whole, just so many more. Again, I can't encourage you strongly enough to sign up for that thing on Tuesday night. But for right now, let's just take a moment. If you, if you had someone that you love die this past year, someone who's close to you in 2023, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to invite you. We want to pray for you. And would you, be, would you find your courage right now just to stand at all of our campuses, wherever you are, if you had someone close to you pass 
and you would, you would welcome prayers for you. Would you stand? I want to allow you to stand at all of our campuses. Now I'm going to ask a second group to stand as well. And that is that maybe you've lost someone that's, that you're still feeling that loss. It might have been five years ago or 15, but you would, you would welcome prayer for you and for your family. And it might take a bit of courage, you know, to admit it or whatever, but I'm just going to invite you to stand as well. You're still missing someone, and you would welcome some prayer. Uh, you just stand if you would as well. Okay, so folks, look around, okay? This is our church family. It's a safe place to do this. We, you know, don't want to weird anybody out, but this is what we're going to do. Everyone else that's seated, just kind of take a look. We're all going to get up now and go find these people. Make sure everyone has at least a, a gentle hand on their shoulder or, or arm. Move out of your seat. Don't let, don't let anyone be sitting somewhere where they don't have a hand. And, and, uh, and just get it. This is, a, this is a way of reaching out with the touch of the Lord. We're just going to pray. It's all we're going to do. And that hand just represents the love of God for you and your family coming through in a, in a moment like this. And uh, let's pray. Father God, we need you always. We need you so much, but we need you especially right now. And we pray especially for these people, our friends, our family here who are having special time of loss and hurt in their lives. And we thank you for Jesus, who is the light of the world, who comes among us to bring hope and light and peace and love. So we pray that you would help to fill the hole, heal the hurts, bring joyful memories where maybe there's still gut-wrenching sorrow. Be for us our friend, our counselor, our provider, our sustainer. And because of the hope that we find in Jesus Christ and the eternal life that is in him, God, help us to find joy as the angels said, joy to the whole world, even in the middle of our tears. Thank you for letting us be your people, a family, for each other in these moments. And we pray for the, the beautiful time we'll have together Tuesday night as well. And we pray this in the beautiful name of our wonderful counselor and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat.